Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Wednesday, October 5th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Rights groups ask the U.S. to help Liberia establish a war crimes court. This is an important moment, given that Liberians have been waiting for the establishment of a war crimes court, and the U.S. government can play an important role in signaling its support for a war crimes court in Liberia. An ECOWAS delegation is in Burkina Faso following that country's second military coup this year. Refugees in Malawi protest over delays in food rations. Ugandan President Museveni's son is promoted to general following a controversial tweet about Kenya. General Moz, when he spoke to his father, he appreciated his work. And indeed, after appreciating his work, he has promoted him to a full general. His promotion has been long overdue because he's the most qualified UPDF officer. And bird flu hits a colony of endangered penguins in South Africa. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The U.S.-based group Human Rights Watch and several other organizations are calling on the United States to support the creation of a war crimes court in Liberia to prosecute alleged crimes committed during that country's long civil war. The appeal comes as U.S. Ambassador-at-Large for Global Criminal Justice Beth Venshek is scheduled to visit Liberia starting tomorrow, October 6. Liberia's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the TRC, recommended in 2009 the establishment of a war crimes court. Since then, successive governments have failed to do just that. President George Weir has said that his administration is holistically committed to implementing the TRC recommendations, but he wants the national legislature to provide guidance. Elise Kepler is associate director of the International Justice Program at Human Rights Watch, which is based in New York City. She tells me that the groups making the appeal believe the U.S. government has an opportunity to stand with victims of atrocities committed during Liberia's civil war. This is an important moment given that Liberians have been waiting for the establishment of a war crimes court to try atrocities committed during the country's civil wars since at least 2009. A truth commission recommended the establishment of a court then. We've seen campaigns for that court. We've seen authorities uh, at different points seem more and less open. But at this point, people have been waiting so long, and a war crimes court is needed to bring justice for those crimes. And the U.S. government can play an important role in signaling its support for a war crimes court in Liberia. Elise, what exactly can the U.S. government do? The U.S. government has a long history of offering political support and financial support to ensure prosecutions of serious crimes, including in West Africa. The U.S. government was a supporter of the Special Court for Sierra Leone, which tried Charles Taylor, was headquartered in Freetown, Sierra Leone. It was also a supporter of the Extraordinary African Chambers in Senegal, tried the former Chadian leader for crimes committed in Chad. So we see that the U.S. government can really be involved in helping to ensure justice is done. It can make clear that justice needs to be done for these crimes, that it supports accountability for these crimes, and it's willing to assist Liberia in taking those steps forward to see that a war crimes court can be created. 
A first step, of course, is Liberia discussing with international experts, including those from the U.S. government, about how it can go about establishing an effective war crimes court. It need not be left alone or do it alone uh, in this process. There's a lot of expertise out there to support Liberia in taking justice forward. As you know, it's been years since the Liberia Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out with its recommendations. There was the President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf government. Now you have President George Weah government. President Weah has said that uh, he is um, holistically committed to implementing the national consensus recommendations, but he wants the legislature to advise and provide guidance, but the legislature has refused to enact a law creating a war and economic crimes court. Why do you think this is happening? There are some very disconcerting developments. When it comes to the legislature, there was a resolution signed by more than 50 legislators supporting the establishment of a war crimes court that was removed from the agenda for consideration. It had more than enough support to pass. And it seems to be kind of a political question, what's going on, um, and not consistent with moving forward a resolution that has support. And that is deeply concerning because the victims are waiting for justice. And we do need the legislature to show support. But President Wea need not wait for that to begin consultation with the UN, the US, and other partners about how this can be brought forward. And that it's important that he move ahead, in fact, in doing so. You know, I, I, what do you say to some people in the Liberian society who say that let bygones be bygones, that uh, the idea of a war crimes and economic crimes court, that is going back and may contribute to destabilizing the country? I would say quite the opposite. Human Rights Watch research across many different countries over many years has reinforced the idea that justice is a critical component to building respect for rule of law and respect for human rights. And in fact, letting impunity for those kinds of atrocities fester, we've seen fuels further abuses again and again. This is something that needs to be dealt with by Liberia. It's required by its international obligations, and there is strong support across various segments of the population for justice to be done. Elise, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Take good care. Elise Kepler is Associate Director of the International Justice Program at the U.S.-based group Human Rights Watch. She was speaking with us from New York City. Burkina Faso is one of a few West African states in recent years where the military has taken over as Islamic militants threaten the region. From the capital, Ouagadougou, Henry Wilkins reports. As a delegation from the West African political bloc ECOWAS arrived in Ouagadougou on Tuesday, protesters took to the streets outside the airport. They shouted anti-French and anti-ECOWAS slogans and said it was time for Burkina Faso to manage its own return to security. The country has been locked in a conflict with militant groups linked to Islamic State and Al-Qaeda for almost seven years, experiencing its second coup in eight months this weekend. ECOWAS is expected to establish relations with the new junta leader, Captain Ibrahim Traore, and to reinforce a two-year transition period for the country to return to democracy, set up under the previous junta. Paul Menny, as an analyst at UK-based think tank Chatham House, asked what the delegation hopes to achieve, he said... They may want to gently explore what the attitude of the new leadership is towards military cooperation. 
with other ECOWAS countries, and particularly Niger, uh, with whom uh, the Demeba regime had built a particularly strong close military partnership. And they may hope also to get a bit of a steer as to whether the um, new regime will maintain the military cooperation with French forces. Burkina Faso is seen as a strategic linchpin in the Western Sahel conflict, with terrorism already spreading from its southern border to West Africa's coastal states. ECOWAS has a major stake in Burkina Faso's success in security matters. Michael Shirkin is an analyst with 14 North Strategies, a Washington-based consultancy. Burkina Faso falls, or as it falls, it puts in danger a lot of other countries that surround Burkina Faso. Today and over the weekend, many demonstrators could be seen waving Russian flags, while the junta has indicated it is looking to turn to new international partners, potentially Russia, to help rectify its security problems. Shirkin added, This also is bad news because uh, whereas the French uh, have made mistakes, the French at, at heart were hoping to try to secure the area and create security, the Russians have no such goals. The Russians are there in order to destabilize the region and to stick as many fingers in the eyes of France as possible to make everything worse. And we've already seen from Mali that what Wagner would do if they were to come to Burkina Faso is basically just kill civilians. Andrew Lebovich is a research fellow at the Klingendale Institute, a Netherlands-based think tank. Asked what he thought the new junta could mean for security in Burkina Faso and the region, he said... It's already a quite dire security situation, and so anything that's further disruptive um, to the armed forces, to the chain of command, to ongoing operations would have a negative impact. Uh, it's going to make the already meager level of regional cooperation more complicated and more difficult. Thousands have died in Burkina Faso due to the conflict, and almost two million people have been displaced. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso's new military ruler, Captain Ibrahim Traore, has urged cabinet ministers to move faster to tackle what he calls urgent problems. This, as former military leader, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henri Damiba, formally resigned and is said to be in neighboring Togo. Meanwhile, a delegation from the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, arrived in the Burkina Faso capital, Ouagadougou, on Tuesday on a fact-finding mission and was met by demonstrators. Kamisa Kamara is a senior advisor on the Sahel with the United States Institute of Peace. She tells viewers Kara Van Dam that new military leader Captain Traore has repeatedly said that he's not interested in running Burkina Faso, but there are concerns that the West African country is tilting towards Russia. Traore made it very clear from the get-go that he didn't want to stay in power as a military leader, that he wanted to hand over power to a president uh, of the transition who would have been appointed by a, a group of, of uh, influent people in Burkina Faso. And so when he talks about urgent uh, matters, I believe that he's probably referring to just uh, regular affairs of, of the state. He didn't want any interruption in the way that government uh, conducts business because Damiba actually left. But I believe that there is no miracle solution to the security situation uh, that Burkina Faso and the entire Sahel region is currently facing.
Some people were chanting pro-Russian slogans and even waved Russian flags as they greeted the junta leader. Could Burkina Faso, under his leadership, tilt toward Russia? And if so, why? Traoré was very smart, especially during the first hours of the coup, when he realized that um, he was going to lose the battle against Amoeba, because um, if you remember, it was the pro-Damiba forces against the Traoré forces who were fighting um, to basically take over power. And uh, the Damiba forces were actually leading, and it didn't look like Traoré was going to win. And it was, I guess, a politically smart move to accuse France of harboring Damiba. And that actually triggered this Russian flag that you were seeing in Ouagadougou. Is uh, Waga going to tilt towards Russia? Most likely. Russia has played uh, heavily on anti-French sentiment in the Sahel region. It has gone by the same playbook in, in neighboring Mali. And there are high chances that uh, Russia also presents itself as a credible international partner to Burkina Faso in the face of this anti-French sentiment that we're seeing um, in the country. The people there, they must know the feelings in the West, uh, how they are in Russia right now after its invasion of Ukraine. And I guess it doesn't really matter at this point for them. It's it's all about survival, right? So you have to understand that this uh, battle between uh, Russia and Ukraine is important for Europe, but doesn't resonate the same way in the Sahel or in, in West Africa. It is a war that is geographically far away. From West Africa. Africans have mentioned it multiple times during the UN General Assembly that it was a war that didn't really involve Africans and that Africans should actually be left out of it because there are many conflicts in West Africa, including the terrorist threat. That is really a question of survival. So West African countries, including Burkina, including Mali, are not seeing Russia as such an enemy and are rather seeing Russia as a potential partner that they could go in a bidding war with against France. That was Kamisa Kamara, a senior advisor on the Sahel with the United States Institute of Peace. She was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam from Oxford, England. Listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Butty in Washington. Today is Wednesday, October the 5th. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In Uganda, a supporter of Lieutenant General Muhuzi Kaine Rugaba says the general and his so called army of supporters are pleased with his promotion from lieutenant general to general. Mohosi, the son of Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni, had been serving as commander of the land forces of the Ugandan People Defense Forces. He was removed on Tuesday and promoted following a meeting with his father. This followed Muhuzi's tweet on Monday saying that then-President Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya should have run for a third term. Balam Barugahara, who calls himself Vice President of Lieutenant General Muhuzi's group of supporters, tells me that Muhuzi's promotion was the result of President Museveni's appreciation of his work over the years. He also said Muhuzi's tweet was met as a human and that the general has no regrets. 
General Mohs indeed he informed us how he spoke to his father, who's also the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, and said the commander will issue good news to us. He said he will pray for us as his army, as I told you yesterday, his army is army of supporters. So General Mohs, when he spoke to his father, he appreciated his work. And indeed, after appreciating his work, he has promoted him to a full general. His promotion has been long overdue because he's the most qualified UPDF officer. He went to Sandhurst University. He went to the best college in the U.S. He also attended some other training in, in Cairo. He went to uh, North Korea. Among the very, very few people who went to North Korea, he went to North Korea, he went to Moscow. So his, his military credentials are far beyond. Actually, he should be a field marshal, only that since he has now attained this rank of, uh, of general, very soon he will become a field marshal, inshallah. There has been enormous reaction to General Muhuzi's tweet. Does he have any regret for tweeting that way? General Muhuzi believes in uh, free press. He believes in uh, freedom of speech. He's one man I know who will tweet what is at his heart, and he has a great sense of humor. Just like I told you, if you want to become a president of young people, Uganda has over 45 million people. Out of 45, you'll find 38 million are young people, below 2030. So that generation, which is Mohose's generation, require people with sense of humor. They don't require a lot of uh, bullying. They don't require a lot of undermining. They want to laugh. They want to enjoy. They want to learn. They want to explore. They want to do whatever they can do. So whatever General Mohose did, there's no regret for what he tweeted. But I want Ugandans and Africans and people all over the world to understand that being a general does not deprive you of a right to association and entertainment and fun. So whatever he did, it's not regrettable. It's not regrettable and it is fun. And his Twitter account had only 500,000. In one day, he was able to get another 100,000. So right now, as I speak, is the most followed military officer in Africa. And the sky is the limit, he's going to hit more. Now, it seems that uh, he has been promoted from lieutenant general to general. I do not know a lot about military terminology, but how does he feel about his promotion? Uh, general Mohosa at the moment is feeling so good, just like you have seen. He's preparing his supporters, the army, the Mohosa army, is preparing a party on the Kampala's main street. And we shall have these parties all over the country at the expense of supporters. Supporters are coming up with different parties. It is subject to his approval and availability. Remember, he's a senior presidential advisor on special assignment. And among his assignment is to pacify and make love and make friendship on neighboring countries. So hopefully he finds time to sustain the parties and the celebrations his supporters are putting up. He has announced one on Kampala Road uh, very soon after his confirmation. But we are intending to do more in the West, in Imbarara, in northern Uganda, in Arua, in uh, Karamoja, all parts of Uganda. And also we shall go to Carnival, Nairobi. That is our next stop. Within the next two weeks also, we shall be parting in Carnival with our supporters in Nairobi. Nairobi and Uganda, we are one country. We are East Africa. And that is what our great leader, the President, Yoel Museveni, and our other leaders, uh, President Ruto, and President uh, Sami Sulu, uh, that's what they are advocating, and President Paul Kagame. So we shall party in every city for one of them attaining the highest rank in Uganda's military. Thank you so much. It's very nice to talk to you. Thank you, James Bate. Balam Barugahara calls himself Vice President of General Muhuzi's so-called Army of Supporters. He was speaking with us from the Ugandan capital, Kampala. 
In Malawi, hundreds of refugees and asylum seekers held protest on Tuesday over delays for promised cash assistance to buy food. Protesters told viewers they have waited almost four months for promised handouts and are struggling to feed their families. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. During their protests, the refugees marched to the UN offices inside the Zalega refugee camp in Doha district, where they bend tires to signify their concerns and anger. Muhammad Bashiri is among the protesters. He says we are complaining about the delay in receiving cash handouts. We used to buy food. We received our last handouts four months ago. He said lack of assistance has sometimes made his family and three children go days without food. The UN World Food Program is responsible for providing cash for food assistance to over 50,000 refugees in the Zalega refugee camp. But recently, the organization said it lacks funds to meet the needs of all the refugees. In February, WFP halted food rations to nearly 700 self-sustaining refugee families, citing funding limitations. Ken Emmanuel Lukajo is the Associate External Relations and Reporting Officer for the UN Refugee Agency. UNHCR in Malawi. He told VOA Tuesday that the UNHCR is aware of the food shortage problem in Zalega and that efforts have been made to update the refugees on the situation. UNHCR worked closely with WP and then the camp management and also the refugee leaders and they always conduct meetings to inform the refugees about the challenges that's going on and update them on when when they they're able to get their cash assistance. Portanibu is country director for WFP in Malawi. He says the WFP last made a cash handout in August and that the delay is because of financial constraints the organization has faced in recent years. Since May 2019, we've been doing a reduced food assistance uh, ration between about 25 to 50% lower than the, the ideal ration. Now, we've faced risks of pipeline breaks for the food assistance on several occasions, and, and certainly this year we have encountered that. Danny Bull said the refugees will resume getting cash handouts on October 10. And we have now secured sufficient funding for the remaining months of the of the year. So for the remainder of 2022, we will be able to do uh, monthly distributions to the refugees. However, Tanibu said more financial assistance is still needed to ensure the refugees get regular cash for food payments next year. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. South African conservationists are on high alert after an outbreak of bird flu killed close to 30 penguins at one of the country's most stable colonies and a popular tourist attraction. The disease, formerly known as avian influenza, is not treatable and has already killed more than 20,000 Cape Comorant birds since last year. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town. Boulder's Penguin Colony, about a 40-minute drive from Cape Town's city centre, is home to about 3,000 African penguins, a significant number given there are only about 14,000 breeding pairs left on the planet. Bird flu was identified in the colony in August. 
Dr. David Roberts is a clinical veterinarian who works for the Southern African Foundation for the Conservation of Coastal Birds, an NGO which advises South African National Parks, the government entity that manages the colony. Roberts says for now, tourists and beachgoers are still allowed. We don't think there's any extra threats caused by people visiting. If there's more of an outbreak, then other measures might be put in place. The disease is typically spread between birds by feces. He says rangers are on the lookout for sick birds. Because this is an untreatable disease, we don't um, take them in and give them any medication. Uh, we rather euthanize them. There are concerns that the bird flu could spread to ostriches and chickens, which would have dire economic implications. Vicky Stark for VOA News. Cape Town, South Africa. And that's it for this Wednesday, October 5th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for coming aboard with us this morning. I am James Barton in Washington, wishing that you will have a wonderful 